Ladies and gentlemen, I'm so excited to uh, have this two-part Dr. Mike show. Unbelievable, fantastic guest. My mentor, my uh, sponsor family away from home when I was an academy gra- uh, cadet and graduate at the United States Air Force Academy, learning to become a military officer and all the instilling me the ethics and work ethic ethics of being a, a, a patriot. Uh, we're going to be speaking with uh, Mike Sagelski, Tadios T. Mike Sagelski, a, a Polish American who escaped from communist Poland. And we're going to tell that story in the first part of this uh, podcast. And then the second part, we'll be talking about um, his return, his escape, not just from Poland uh, and to Denmark, but how he met his wife. In Denmark and how he made it to America and became such an important figure in many people's lives and telling his uh, not just a heroic escape but his hero story look uh, please tune in and look forward to this episode two-part series with Mike Sagelski um, thank you very much Well, welcome to another episode of the Dr. Mike Show. I am super excited to um, introduce uh, an unbelievable individual, an unbelievable family uh, who I've known for many, many years and got introduced to. um, Part of this show is to talk about not just medicine and medicine topics with the Dr. Mike Show. But really, it's about bringing in people with unbelievable, compelling stories. This gentleman has uh, fits that bill, an unbelievable, compelling story. And amazing to me, um, and, and I think many people don't appreciate it until you get a little bit older. I know certainly when I met this individual at the age of 18, uh, I was ignorant and not very appreciative of the people around me as much as I am now as you grow older. And so this is a story that just needs to be told and has had an impact on my life, uh, certainly through my four years at the Air Force Academy, the Military Academy in Colorado Springs, where I was first introduced to this family. And it's with a a great honor and great pleasure for me to introduce my mentor from the Academy days, a, a home away from home to escape from the Academy. Uh, they were my sponsor family, and not only a, uh, a great uh, a Polish uh, individual, but a great Polish American. I'd like to welcome to you uh, Michael Sigelski, or as he goes by now, is T. Mike Sigelski. Mike? Hi. I thank you very much, first of all, for your kind words and the introduction, and thank you for inviting me. I'm a little bit uh, uh, puzzled by that. Uh, and also, uh, uh, this is the first one I'm doing a podcast. Uh, on, video on, podcast. Going to immortalize <laughs> you forever. <laughs> <laughs> Something for my kids to look at. And we have his wife here. And another, you know, part of the story is her as well. And uh, she'll pipe in from time to time. And, and important, I always like to, uh, I always say your name, Bridget, just because it's the Americanized form. But you're Danish American, um, and really your name is spelled uniquely. 
Uh, how do you properly pronounce it? Birgit. Yeah. Right. Um, but I always, you know, just like many lazy Americans, uh, we, we sometimes <laughs> just Bridget, but Birgit. So uh, part of this story is just to, to really outline um, how important you had an impact on my life. And then you moved on. We had a period of time there where we were separated. And I'm glad we reconnected. And it's been a real blessing. Um, but I like to start off with uh, following this story of kind of what your origin is. And I think the best way to, to start this off is to, to say, why do you love America so much? And how did your parents influence you on that? And where were you and how did you get here? Just as you mentioned, uh, people having effect on our lives. Uh, you use the word mentor, you use uh, uh, these words. Um, I believe that uh, what we are um, is, is just like there's a story, you know, about a turtle on a, on a fence, on a fence pole. Okay. And it's sitting there and people ask how, how he got it. Somebody had to put that turtle there. So uh, we get there, not necessarily all by ourselves, but also with help of our peop other people. And uh, when you talk about the mentor, somebody who had the great effect in your life, I would, number one person I would uh, say it was my father. Your father. Both my parents, but specifically my father. What did your father do and where was he? My father, well, of course, I grew up in Poland, was born and raised in Poland. And uh, my father was working as a, as a office clerk in a telecommunications company. And what year were you born in? I was born in 1951. And Poland at that time was? Was a communist country. Uh, it was a member of Warsaw Pact. And uh, I remember as a little kid listening always uh, during Sunday dinners, this very... Uh, loud discussions of the family. We have these family dinners every Sunday, uh, gathering of my parents and my brother, my two sisters, and their husbands and wife and children. I was the last in the family. I was right. the, the, the difference between me and my older sister is 21 years. Wow. So uh, they were always talking about things uh, and um, very often about politics. And uh, I know they were always recalling, especially my parents, recalling Poland when it was free before World War II. Right, and you never knew what that was like. No, only from what I heard from my parents. Um, and uh, I remember, of course, it, uh, discussing when they were talking about the things that they used to be and the things they are now. And also I was aware of the fact that uh, World War II, four years they all spent in Siberian gulags. Your parents? My parents, my were, two sisters, and my brother. I mean, that, just that in and of <clears throat> itself is, can be a whole book. Your parents were in the gulag, mm -hmm. and then uh, obviously they survived yeah. and come back to their uh, hometown, which was... Or, which was Lvov, and it became part of the Soviet uh, Union, and they were kicked out from there and pushed to town, which used to be for 700 years, German town, Breslau, mm -hmm. now it's Wrocław. So uh, I was born in that town. And you're sitting at these dinner tables, Sunday dinners, listening, mm -hmm. learning, 
-hmm. and and the conversations were not in support of mother russia no absolutely not russia or anything communist that was one of the points of pride my dad would always make to to his children my older siblings uh, saying that uh, we could have had better life if i joined communist party but i haven't right. i can look straight in the mirror and not be ashamed and uh, uh we could have done much better if I was a member right. of the Communist Party, which I knew knowing what my friends, mm. their parents, uh, who joined Communist Party, what their life was a little bit was better a little than, bit than better. anybody. Yes. And uh, I remember you telling me stories. Tell me if this is true when you were little or, I don't know, maybe you were in your teens, uh, of you saying you and your brother or maybe your family was listening in the basement to Armed Forces Network at times with the curtains covered or the windows covered with curtains so you wouldn't get caught? Okay, uh, maybe not as dramatic, but the results could be. So what happened is uh, listening to Radio Free Europe. Radio Free Europe. Okay. And, yeah, not Armed Forces. Radio Free Europe and Radio Voice of America, yes. which was broadcasted to all Central Europe, um, was illegal to listen. As a matter of fact, uh, um, but block away where my dad was working in the uh, uh, top floor of the building, there was a jamming machine operated by military. No so when you were listening to the Radio Free Europe Voice of America, it was not just, okay, I tune in and I do my things and I, and I listen. You sit out there because you hear this noise and you can hardly can hear what, that person is talking right. about. So you have to move the dial a little bit and you kind of keep play, fine tuning, keep fine the whole tuning show. through the, the show. You play mouse and cat right. game with the guys that are trying somewhere to, to, to distort the sound and everything so you wouldn't hear the message. So that's one part. And second part is right after World War II, of course, uh, if you were caught doing this, that would be a physical harm. When I was growing up, the uh, communists, not that it became any better, it's just that they gained control, they disarmed people, they right. took all the leadership positions in, in, in anything that uh, is involved with economy, schools right. and news, right. so they could relax a little bit. <clears throat> so they didn't have to, and that's also after Stalin died. So, so it was a little bit more mellow, kind of uh, right, they version had the of communism. It was uh, Russian-controlled Poland. It was still Russian-controlled Poland, but um, if you were caught listening or somebody find out that you listen to Radio Free Europe, Voice of America, um, whatever job you would have, you would lose and you then find yourself working for something lesser. If you were a student in college, they would make sure that you didn't pass some test right. and you'd be kicked out. And then you become so laborer you, in a labor. At the, the same time you're paradise. learning from your family and these dinners and mm -hmm. Radio Free America, the the principles of democracy and freedom and love mm -hmm. your love for America, you're also realizing I have to be equally ser a good servant to communism okay. in order not to get harmed. Well, that's where you learn not to be a servant, but to avoid talking about what you feel, what you believe, and pay lip service as little as possible mm -hmm. in classroom, 
in the company of your friends, um, which are not really friends' friends. When you have to be afraid of your friends, you don't Mm -hmm. know who they are. They are not really your friends. But anyway, so uh, yeah, you've learned to, to live this double life. You go at home, you speak freely with your parents, family. You go outside the home. You have to do whatever there is a there's a officially acceptable. Right. You cannot talk about uh, politics. You actually let me give you an example. In yeah. 1968, um, early late 60s, there was a fight between Russians and Chinese on a Usuri River in in on the border between China and Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. And I assume that guy that asked question of a history professor in high school uh, provoke him. Maybe they were already suspecting that this guy is kind of a, a not good trusty commie or whatever mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. just want to test it. The student gets up and asks professor, uh, how is it possible that two communist countries are fighting each other? That we hear about it. Well, he didn't want to answer that question because of fear that he there may be some kind of repercussion. So he thought that he will answer with the joke. And he said, I have not listened to Radio Free Europe today, so I don't know. Oh my gosh. Next day, he was no longer a professor. Uh, I met him about half a year later on the street. And he said, well, I got kicked out. And the good thing about it is that now I am working in a factory. I lost license to teach. I am working in a factory with my hands. The good thing about it is that now when my daughter will be applying for college, she will get the points for being member of the working class. (laughs) And it's not a joke. That's how it was. That's how you get to college. You would pass the test, and then they'll give you points for being member if your parents were in the Communist Party, if they were in the military, the police, if they were workers, because all the other side, it was so-called working intelligentsia. So working intelligentsia didn't get any point. So so, (laughs) so now... Leading into the, you know getting points and being mm-hmm. a good communist, mm-hmm. even though at home you're learning uh, about uh, uh, you know paying lip service yep. during the day, but at night you're practicing to be uh, uh, a normal free, person, a, a normal person, a democratically free person mm-hmm. is what you desire. And getting points and learn, and you're in high school, and these instructors at some point. How did you realize I need to work on something to get out of communist Poland? And and what was that transition of of the getting into sports and okay. getting into this role with the intention of what you were going to do down the future? Yeah. So uh, my parents' intentions were not to teach me all those things that they thought was right and then see me escaping from Poland because escape was the only way out. You could not say, okay, I want to immigrate, so give me my passport, I want to go to America. That didn't happen. Uh, The only way to get out was either being a member of the athletic, some kind of sports or cultural exchange or whatever, or there were some small abilities for students to travel very small group if you earn somehow something that they would want to reward you for, 
uh, you could travel abroad. So those were the only things so you, that you could do. In order for you to escape from you, Poland, you, have you, to had break to, out. you had to get on some uh, authorized trip out of the border. Exactly, exactly. So my parents' uh, intention was to, to, to raise me, and as my oldest sister reminded me after I escaped, your parents didn't teach you, she was very angry about it, that I escaped because she grew up in Poland that gained uh, status as a free country. After 900 some years, Poland disappeared from map of Europe right. for 123 years. And then as a result of World War I, again reappeared on reappeared. the map. And that was euphoria in Poland. It was uh, it was not just patriotism; it was uh, nationalism. Everybody mm -hmm. was happy. Finally, they have Poland again. The borders That's are back. how she grew up. Right. So for her, Poland, good or bad or wrong or right, was Poland. That was the the motherland. Right. So my parents wanted to be me to be patriotic, Paul, like my brother, my two right. sisters. You work here, you stay here, and maybe someday there will be time where, where you can make a difference. So my sister, when I escaped, got angry because she thought that I went easy way. I went for good life, where my parents, as a parent, raised me. She said, your place is here in Poland. Right. Try to change it. And I, and I accept that. I accept that. I, she was I, angry because your, she thought your parents were raising you to help continue the change. And they raised me to escape. Right. Because what happened is now when I'm see, dealing with this dual life, one official outside the home and one another, I'm looking around and I start hating everything around me. Because... Mm -hmm. I'm listening to Radio Free Europe. I'm listening to Voice of America. I look at the miserable life that my family has. I'm listening to my parents talking about how good life they had before World War II, right. before communists came in. And I said, I don't want to spend rest of my life like, like they do. That was added to a dream of a little boy that didn't know anything about politics, but was reading adventure books that my dad would still buy Poland allowed books like Kierwood, Hunters of Hunter of Wolves, Hunter of Gold, Hunter of uh, Adventure, yeah. uh, Mark Twain, Mark Twain. Uh, um, all those all those adventure books about Wild West. Yeah. And so you're reading them. I'm reading them. And as a little boy before even thinking about politics, my dream is Indians. Did cowboys. you read any John Wayne? <laughs> No. Well, I saw the movies. Yeah, okay. There was some, but I wanted I want to live in the Wild West. Right. That's my dream. So now, when I'm in high school, now I'm learning history. I'm learning from my parents how it was. So that dream now is evolving into obsession. Mm -hmm. By the time I was graduating from high school, I was obsessed with getting out of there. But you couldn't tell anyone this. You, you're the double life of being the best student right. and best communist. Yeah. Well, and, not communist, or just the, uh, yeah. lip service. Yes, pay, right. pay lip service. At home, my parents, though, they knew that, <clears throat> that because I would tell my parents, someday I'm going to escape. Well, this was such an impossible dream. That everybody was, yeah, right. That's well, going to happen. <laughs> let's, let's go to that, though, because that really is 
what I think is your part of your hero story, your call to action. You have this dream. It's impossible to escape. You you wrote an amazing quick little blurb about that uh, night, that mm-hmm. day, uh, which is really the foundation of your book that you're you're uh, talking about that we'll mention towards the end here. Um, as the last Polish Mohican, which I love the title, absolutely fantastic title. Uh, but that the genesis of it is this day, no one in your family knows, I think, except your brother, right? Yep. And you didn't tell your mom or your dad. You're now in a position where you have an opportunity because you got on an Olympic team yep. as a sprinter. And that was my brother's advice. It was your brother's advice. He said, there's no way. You're going to escape. You cannot run through the border, which is mined between East Germany and West Germany, the walls and all that stuff. This will never happen. So sport is the only thing. And at that time, I was, I was, you know, I had a God-given talent for sprint, Mm -hmm. for fast run. And in my grammar school, I was number one in grammar school, in a high school. I Mm -hmm. set the record. So my brother says, try sport. That may be your ticket out. Right. So when I became college student, I took it seriously, and I joined athletic club in my in my college, and uh, I three years later, dream came through. What so tell, happened? Tell, tell that story because it's so powerful. People right. need to hear this. I mean, briefly, you can talk because only your brother knows mm-hmm. you're going to leave on this right. day. You get a ticket or, or, or a, a way out, mm-hmm. but you have to put some things in place like. Uh, you have to requ- request your high school diploma. Okay. Because you, some of these things you, people don't understand nowadays how important these things were yeah. in an effort to escape. Yeah. But they don't, you know, Americans and now me, you know, I don't realize the impact of how important it was to have certain documents, but how also it could have raised a red flag yeah. and suspicion from others. Yeah. So, what, m- number one thing, um, I, uh, as I joined the athletic club, I work really hard at it, twice a day, five days a week, and then on on uh, Sundays one longer training session. And uh, I made it to the team being prepared for Olympics in Munich, hundred meter dash, nineteen nineteen seventy two, seventy two, right? Yes, because so of hundred meter, meter dash. That was sprinter, and um, and that that was uh, recognized at my college. And because of that, I could apply for a trip that was reserved for special people. Right. For special people to Denmark to the East, and then East Germany. That was this combined. Mm-hmm. I applied for this in the fall, not knowing yet what else is going to happen later on and not even knowing the dates for, for, for things right. that all came to play. So I am... I was granted this. I'd say, okay, you will, you you're gonna go on that two week trip, one trip to trip Denmark, to Denmark and, and then East Germany. Right. The same time, now I am on a team, and everything else is out of my control because they decide when the competitions are, qualifying right. competitions, and so on. For the Olympics, yes. Yeah. And Olympics were in August. 
My trip to Denmark is August 4th. Right. This is so, I mean, and guess talk what about now? a God-given <laughs> gift of the timing. <laughs> so somebody loves me out there. Yes. I, I, I truly believe that. I'm not saying it uh, for, for, for fun or anything. I am, uh, uh, I, I've met that summer four Dutch students, and I knew that there were some things I would like to have with me, some, some little memorabilia, pictures, some, some stuff that I have at home now, some things that I could prove how communists were using sports for right. propaganda, right. official documents. And I trusted these four people that came to visit Poland. They were mm -hmm. tourists. And I mm -hmm. trust them on one of the summer camps for sports. Right. And I told them the story that I am going to escape. Would you be willing to smuggle for me some of those Now this, things? I've not heard this. Yeah. This is unbelievable. Okay. <laughs> so I, I, they said yes. Wow. And they took the thing. So now they are in Holland, in Netherlands. I'm in Poland without these things. There's one more document I need to have. That document is high school diploma. Right. Because I am in college, but in Poland, the law is that if you accept, you are accepted to, to college, they take your diploma, high school diploma, and they keep it, and then you will get it together with graduation papers when you get your master's. At that time, those master's was the only way. Right. All right. So about... 10 days a week prior to the trip, I go to Dean's office, talk to secretary, and I said, well, because of my Olympic Association, they need something from for my you kind uh, of play, high school diploma. You kind of play dumb and you yeah. can tell, hey, I need uh, my thing. I just need to take that. Uh, they're going to do some copy or whatever, and I will bring it back. Right. I never did. Right. I traveled with this document on me. Which could have been... Uh, if somebody... Uh, did the search on a border and find it, it will be clear, okay, he is not a tourist. He is not going there for fun. He is in midst of escape. Right. So that's one thing. Second thing now, I learn that the competition that will decide on who is going to Munich, right. I'm on a group being prepared, but right. who is going is the day that the trip to Denmark is. Right. So the assumption is so the assumption, you're not going to go on this Denmark trip anymore. Your coach probably says, oh. They don't know it he, about it. Nobody the, knows about so this no, except the organizers. I mean, this is before the computers. Right. So it. the coach on the team doesn't even know you've Nobody, been approved oh, for a absolutely trip. Absolutely. No. No. My brother. And That's the it. people that I don't even know who they are somewhere who decide about it because it is – just couple students from my university, couple from some other town, some other town. There was right. about 27 of us, and there were only four from my town. Everybody else from and somewhere you else. you have your diploma, right. and you now have a date so for the Olympic trials, too. And at the like, same day. What are you going to do? So I'm leaving home, telling my parents goodbye. I'm going for the trials. Yeah. So your parents, you're, you're telling me you're going the, for the Olympic trials. Yeah, I'm trial. going for the, for, for the, for the competition. And leave. And Go to Warsaw, stay overnight. In the morning, have to report to the student association office, which is organizing this trip. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting in the room with a large group of people. And they said, we will be calling you alphabetically. And you go, uh, and we will give you a passport because you're not allowed to have in Communist Party 
countries, Poland, you could not have a passport. It was property of the government. Right. If you travel, you are given that, and within 48 hours upon return, so you have to return they it. They have your the passport. You're waiting for your name call. Your heart must yeah. be pounding. Well, but you can, you have to stay cool. Stay cool. You cannot shout. You're I cool mean, right? So I'm sitting over there. My name starts with C. And before they called me, there are already three people that they called the name and not given passport. They said, please follow to another room. Oh, no. So they find something that prevented them from getting that passport. They are not going. So I'm sitting over there. I mean, everything is all the bridges, everything uh, burned behind me. Right. So I'm now, sitting. Now, up, if you get caught, <laughs> yeah, you're. No kidding. You're. So I'm sitting over there. They call my name. Good. Passport is there. So I go for my last walk around the old town in Warsaw. You have your passport. Three o'clock, everybody reports to this place, and we are going to the train station. And now we start this train station to, to Berlin. We mm. landed, we're in Berlin about probably 10 o'clock at but night. But now you think you got your diploma, you got your passport. No one knows you're on this train except and my maybe your coach brother. is looking for me now. And now your coach is as you learn later, is looking for you. Yeah. They can't find you because you're supposed to be going to these Calling trials. Calling my parents. Calling I'm a missing person now. Right. And you think you're on the train and you're, at this point, you're almost free and clear. But, but then. Not. I still then have you to re- go through East Germany. Right. But then what happens when it stops? Tell well, that story. Okay. So there's a border between East Germany and Poland, another communist country. Right. There's somewhere in the forest. Train stops. And suddenly the guy's coming with dogs and and machine guns and all that border patrol. They're checking under the train if nobody's hanging up there. They're going through everything, checking people's passports. Right. And train rolls again. They checked your passport. They checked the passport. No, any any search or anything. I am looking like I am traveling a tourist. I have a bottle of vodka with me, which was known that people go. You buy vodka for 50 cents in Poland, sell it for seven abroad, and buy a T-shirt, polo shirt for, 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 for that and money, you and you then double that. Right. So that I'm pretending like I'm one of those that right. want to enrich myself. I also have a little hand-carved chess set, which also was another item sought in the West, the tourists, yeah. were, people were buying. So I had that too. Like, I'm going to make money. That's the reason I'm going up there, blah, blah. Right. So anyway, um, yeah, we landed at 10 o'clock in Berlin. Then we had uh, some uh, snack place. We ate the soup and then back to another train. So now you're this, this is... You're, Still you're, East you're, Germany. Your hero story is continuing. I mean, this is the long... Because not just one it's not episode. It's not hero. full of... You're either... Well, you may be a fool. Desperate. Desperate. <laughs> but uh, again... You, you get on another train and then you get to like a ferry. Yes. And we, you still don't think we're you going think to you're Rostock. free, but you're still not. Yes. So we're coming to Rostock and plane and train is now coming to the ramp. And I'm I would say probably four feet above the ground. How many hours has passed now? We are around midnight. Since you left. And and you know yes. now people are. And they are looking, are looking for, for me. No one knows but where I you're don't at. know it. I know that they will be right. looking for me, but I don't know what they are doing. Right. Thank God, no computers, no stuff that time. Right. Only you know, F- whatever they have. So, so you come up, roll up on this on high the, platform, and they turn the lights on, and it's brighter than daylight. Daylight, and again, dogs are coming in, 
the East German guards coming in. This time they entered the, the, the compartments and, and start right. knocking the the uh, walls of the of the, the why do they train. do that? Because there was apparently some space that you could crawl in somehow and and, and hide. hide. I mean, they they checked all of this. Did they search you? No. Still didn't search. So finally. Trains start going on a ferry boat that is going now from East Germany to Denmark. The train actually pulled onto the ferry. Pulls on a train. And they say, okay, when we stop, then there will be a signal and everybody can go upstairs. There, by, there will be coffee or whatever. You can sit just like on a ferry boat right. in, in Europe. So I am getting off that train now going upstairs and I'm thinking, and the ferry is already in motion. Right. I'm thinking, okay, I'm free. I get... On the deck, and I look, and there's a bloody East German flag. It's an East it. German flag. So the very... They still can get me. They still yeah. can get it's me on that flag. Communist East, boat. Communist yeah. East, East German, German boat. So. And you're a cool I'm cucumber. Cool, you're sitting like, there, and yeah, like with your chest happened. set and yep. your bottle of vodka <laughs> right. and, a, and a tourist T-shirt. And I am sitting there, and uh, <laughs> then they tell us go back to the train. We are coming to to. Uh, uh, the port, in, port Denmark. in Denmark. Both the train gets off and it's still dark. I remember just getting bright sun, uh, sunrise. Getting off that train and then there's a Danish conductor coming in asking for passports, giving a passport. And I look outside the window and I always tell that that moment I discovered that the world has colors. Yes, I remember you telling me this. Because you, everything was always you, gray. You you lived for twenty one years. I live in a country where colors were gray, black, and dirty white. Obviously, there were other colors too, but it was so meager, and, and everything was just gray, right. just gray. And all of a sudden, I look even asphalt on a road that was next to the train track was looking different, was brighter. So bright black. <laughs> it was, yeah. Everything was different. So with all of this, I was totally exhausted and I fell asleep. So you get out, you obviously are smiling. Oh, yeah. Well, where, where did you fall asleep? Where did you go? I'm right down a train. I'm, we are still going to Copenhagen. Oh, okay. We but are driving. But not, now you're, you're, you know you, at this point, I think I'm free. I'm, oh, now I am free. Now you're I'm free. I'm in Denmark. You know you I am no return. This no is return. It. They I, can't I'm stop a, the train no, now. No, no. They have completely Yeah, it's a away. Danish conductor. There's it's all a, Denmark. I'm in Denmark. You're, so I fell asleep. We early in the morning we arrived in Copenhagen and greeted by the person who was our guide over there and the, the whole group now goes off to the probably it was one of they call it hostels hostel, hostels uh, hostels hostels for students because it looked like apartment building it was not looking like a hotel but uh, we'll get our rooms and all this stuff and there i met two british um right in the lobby as we were checking in two british teachers there were two girls and uh i started to talk a little bit with them and uh, they said, well, what do you do tonight? I said, well, I don't know. I have to ask the people that are taking care of us. Right. And I asked, they said, well, we do nothing, no schedule for today. I said, well, can I go to these two British girls? They invited me to, to uh, pub for a pub. beer. Yeah. And we went. 
And during discussion over there, again, I'm trusting because now I'm in Denmark, right. right? But I also made the plan that I will not escape the day that I arrive. The reason for it was in the Radio Free Europe, I've read this, I've heard the story of a guy named Kudirka, who is Lithuanian sailor, who jumped somewhere that was uh, at the sea, high seas, American ship and a Russian ship. Right. He jumped and swam to the American ship and the captain sold him for a bottle of vodka back to the Soviets. Yeah. And I said, I don't want to be near any group that could grab me and take right. me back. Take you back. So I'm not going to do it in the beginning. I'm going to do it at the end, the okay. last day. Right. So how long was the trip? A week. A week. There. So you're. So I am with the whole group playing like I'm, you know, just like everybody else. Right. And uh, the British girls, the first night that I was over there in that pub, you trusted I told them. them, I trusted them. I said, do you know where American embassy is? Because I am going to defect. I want to. I want to make my. You rolled the dice. My, that you trust these two people. Yes, my 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 goal is not to live in Denmark. This is just for me. Right. Place that I get free. America is my goal. And um, become a cowboy. Yeah. So uh, here they they uh, uh, find out, and next day we met again. We had always couple hours off between those official things that right. we went to see castle and some. And they said we know where it is, and I still remember Doug Hammerschild Alley. That's the address to American okay. Embassy. Yeah, yeah. And we had couple days later we had some time off, and they said we will take you over there. The two British yes ladies because they were whole weekend. Are you still in, friends with them? Do you still no. No, you don't know them. No. Oh. No. So uh, fate, they, fate. There's someone I'm watching out. They yeah. just happen to be in the lobby yeah. the first day you get there. Yeah. And you say hi to them. Yeah. And they're like, hey, he must yeah. be a good looking guy. I'll invite you out to a pub. <laughs> I know about that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so uh, so they took me to American Embassy. On the last day. No. This is, I'm going because I need to find out how I do it. I also don't want anybody to think that I came over, was overwhelmed by the wealth, the good-looking things, and decided to do, to escape. Right. I wanted them to know that this was planned. Right. But I'm waiting for the last moment to execute the okay. last part of it. So you go, you drive by there with these these ladies. girls. We are going in a rainy day. I remember horrible weather. We are coming in and uh, Marine sitting by. The, this is before all the things that crazy things right. that we are facing now. The door opens. There's a Marine sitting with the desk by the door. I tell him what I'm here for. He said, sit down here at the chair and wait. And about half an hour later, they called me. I go to a room that is about this size without any pictures. So or you anything. you just call you he, you tell him I'm here to defect. I uh, want to go yes. to America. Yeah. And uh, lady comes in and I tell her my story, and he said, "Well, you cannot just. I guess I was not important enough. I was not a MiG pilot or something right. like this. I, I, so she said, what you need to do is you. This is the card, the business card. That's the office of the." Danish, it's not like cops, police, it's something internal, whatever. You go over there when you defect, when you decide to do that, this is the address you need to run. So they, uh, the American embassy wouldn't take you? No. 
No, they said, this is not the procedure. We, like I said, if I was saying I am the MiG pilot or whatever, mm -hmm. it would be a different story. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm just just a runner. So, um, fine. So we are doing all this uh, the tourist stuff. Mm -hmm. I already know what my plan is, what I'm going to do. I have a one more day before, and we have time, the British girls, and we are going to this Danish Right. place, which is not far away from Tivoli Garden in, in uh, Copenhagen. Okay. I walk in, and again, they say, wait for a second. I wait you for say about goodbye 30 to minutes. The, the no, British they girls? are waiting for me. Oh, yeah. They, I You're go so to lucky. the room. I'm going to the room, sitting. The guy comes in, and I'm telling my story. And uh, he said, well, uh, I said, tomorrow is the day that they are leaving, and that's where I'm going to escape. But I want you to know that this is not like impulsive thing that was all planned. Right. And he tells me, okay, this is all nice, but Poland is one of the largest producers of coal in Europe at that time, uh, selling coal to, to Denmark. We right. are buying it and they put pressure on our government. There were a lot of instances where people from Poland would, those, like there was a boat for Christmas and New Year on the Baltic Sea and would come only like within yards from the Copenhagen yeah. Harbor so you could see the skyline in the New Year. You didn't have to have a passport for that. Mm -hmm. And then to go back to Poland. Mm -hmm. That was one of the privileged Privileges. trips too. And on the one of those, 90-some people jumped at the water <laughs> the on ja in January to Baltic Sea and, and swam to the shore and were rescued to escape. Right. So Pauls got annoyed by this and they put the pressure on Danes and said, no more, we don't right. don't want this to happen. So the guy says, I cannot guarantee you that you're going to be given political asylum. So what did you think? I, what happened? I almost fell apart. I said, you know, I didn't expect anybody to stand here with open arms, but uh, I'll go, let send me to wherever other non-communist country is my goal is United States. But if you guys put me on a train back to Poland, you're, I will not arrive dead. alive. Yeah. No, I will not arrive alive. You will not I will arrive. not, I, I would do it. You can't go back. So I cannot go back. I said, well, then you decide. Next day. <laughs> the guy says, okay, well, yeah. you decide. And I and, and I go back, join the rest of the group. We are, I remember we went to see the uh, castle in, in Copenhagen that last afternoon. But going morning, through your head all this time, you must be thinking. Yeah, I am. I'm. I know what I want to do, but it really now I'm worrying. Because I'm worrying. The U.S. Because, embassy turns you away. The Danish embassy right. turns you away. Yeah. So, um, next morning, we are all gathering in this common area for for breakfast, and they are giving us little packages for for the road, for the trip on a train now to East Germany. And I'm sitting at the table with two guys that were students of law mm -hmm. that everybody knew those were the commies that were watching. They us. were the political officers. They were, they were political officers. That's one of the things was they were lawyers. I mean, lawyers to be, they were students. Right. In Poland, you would not go in communist Poland. You would not be allowed to study if you were not commie. Right. I mean, law has to be under control, right? Right. <laughs> so they knew what they were doing. So anyway, uh, there's two brothers, and I'm I'm always hanging around them too because that's my protection already from the trip to Warsaw. 
I made sure that I was sitting with them in the same compartment because I said to myself, if anybody's going to get searched, it's not going to be them. Right. So you want to be near them. So I would be near them. And it was also a good thing because they happened to be from my hometown. So that was another alibi I had to hanging around them because we're all from the same town, right? Right. So um, anyway... Uh, we are sitting at the breakfast and one of them said, I don't know if this is a joke or that they went for last moment shopping, but two people are missing. But please don't tell to anybody. You're here. They're telling to me. To you, yeah. Yeah. And I said, no, of course not. Uh, They probably went shopping, whatever. So then bus is coming over, picking us up. These two are still missing. Mm -hmm. We are going to the train station. We are in train station. So These you, guys you, are looking you, worried. You're now. on the bus. I'm on a bus. You're getting ready to go on this getting train. Getting back, back to Kami, is yeah. Germany. <laughs> so there's a train station, and uh, train station, and go to platform. You go steps down. We all going in a kind of like a file. I am hanging back with those two brothers who are watching everybody going forward. Right. Worried about the two missing yes, people. They already, I can see this on their faces. If these two jokers are not showing up, this is the last trip we ever had. Right. Because <laughs> that was their bonus. Right. When we had $7 each, that's what they gave us to allow us to exchange for, for shopping. These people were buying short, uh, shirts, they were buying mini right. uh, recorders for $30, $40. So they were, that was. That was a payoff that communists were right. doing for, for people that were controlling the population. So what what what, what happens so next? So the last one, he said, Mike, why don't you go with, because his brother now goes in front, and he said, Mike, go with everybody. You'll be the last one to the train. I need to make a phone call to Polish embassy to report that two are missing. I said, no problem. So he goes to this set of telephone booths. Right. To the right. His brother's walking ahead. His brother going ahead. I am the last one. I made about one third down the, the, and turned. And there's my fastest run I've done in my the life. Fastest sprint, <laughs> fastest sprint you ever made. Ever I made. tell this story. And that was with the, with the little bag I had with just and did couple they see shorts you? and stuff. Do you think they saw you? No. So you literally sprinted? across the street to Tivoli Garden and then to the right to where the place is where I was to back, earlier. To back to, back to that police the, the police, uh, station, the Danish yeah. State Department or whatever so it was. I go over there and it's weekend. <laughs> so you close. literally sprint out. And this is what yeah. I always want to tell people and my patients and everyone. This is why we do. I mean, it, it, your story instills in me an unbelievable faith in, you know, a, a God, an unbelievable faith to help other people out. Two random British women helping you. Uh, yeah. uh, and that people should never give up either. Patients no. should never give up no. because there's always a way to seek a better way. And sometimes you just literally have to sprint to get yeah. out of the situation you're in. But there's one more. And you have to have thing. some luck too. It's not sure. only this. I thought very often, how come? Why me? Why? Why I... And I really, and she can attest to this, uh, a lot of unusual things in my life happened. The, the lucky things right. happened, what people call lucky. And uh, <clears throat> I always believe that's, that's a blessing. And I always been asking myself, why? 
And I think this is maybe some token uh, uh, payback in good what happened to my family. Right. So they now, suffered now, in Siberia so badly, and 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 my brother, my two sisters, had a really crappy life, and um, and I think that maybe I was blessed, as maybe through my luck, what people right. call, I was blessed to to enjoy different life that they had, right. and that's. So you knock on the Danish door. Yeah, and then at uh, what, how, when and it's weekend. And you're free. It's <laughs> yeah, weekend. It's and weekend. Who's there? There's a guy coming over. He said, "Sit down." And they they come back and they said, "I take you now to place where it's like a again, looks like apartment building, but there's a guard, and they are, you get the room and you wait till Monday. Monday, somebody will come in the morning, pick you up, mm -hmm. and you come here for interrogation. Mm -hmm. So." Um, they take me there, I am in the room, and uh, they tell you breakfast is this time in this dining place, uh, lunch is this time, and uh, and I'm looking and there are a whole bunch of other people and I find the two people <laughs> that were on the trip that were missing. The two people that were missing are there with you? <laughs> yes, the, the guy was from Warsaw, the girl was from Krakow. Okay, everyone, uh, that was the end of the first part of our podcast. Uh, part two is going to talk about uh, his arrival in Denmark, the meeting of his wife, and what he did and how he got to America and became an officer in the United States Air Force. And when I first met him and crossed paths and the impact that had, and we're going to have a special uh, uh, um, feature during the second part where we're going to talk to his kids and what impact they've had on him. Don't miss it. We look forward to you tuning in. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm.